When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. On today's podcast, author Garth Jones returns with his Osploitation segment to discuss Howling 3, the marsupials. My name is Justin Hamilton, and you're listening to Big Squid Presents... Pass the ammo. Pass the ammo. Welcome to our final Pass the ammo for Season 5, but don't worry, Garth and his segment will be back early in Season 6. It's been one of your favourite segments. This is uh, one of the podcasts or segments that I get the most emails about and it's been not only fantastic for us uh, hearing people in Australia love this segment but also uh, a lot of people abroad are fascinated by these movies so thank you for everyone who has reached out about these particular episodes they're fun to make and (laughs) this is Wow, this is an episode, so uh, sit back and enjoy this one. A quick reminder for Adelaide listeners, I'm bringing a live recording of Big Squid to the Rhino Room on September 16 with guests Rove McManus, Tom Gleeson, Adam Richard, Ben Earlwood, and some extra guests that we will announce soon. We're going to record a podcast in Adelaide where some of your favourite comedians are going to talk about the movies, music and art that has inspired them in the past. And I also have several segments, uh, some of your favourite segments from the podcast and some new ones as well for this live show. It's going to be a big night. And my listeners can also get a discount on your ticket. Just head to adelaidecomedy.com, enter the promo code BIGSQUID or one word, and you'll receive your discounted ticket price. Come along. It's going to be massive. It's going to be a lot of fun. And when do you see this kind of talent in Adelaide outside of the fringe? You know what the best thing is? None of them will be hungover or tired from having done a festival. They'll be fresh as a daisy. So come along. It's going to be good fun. Now it's time to bring in Garth so we can discuss this movie where a female werewolf runs away from her family and falls in love with a man who works in the movie business. Meanwhile, a sociologist searches for proof of the existence of werewolves, while the President of the United States of America will do anything to eradicate these supernatural creatures from the face of the earth. Let's sink our teeth into Howling 3, the marsupials. Terror can be many things. Dangerous. Exciting. Make love to me again, Donnie. Beautiful. Bizarre. It could be anything or anyone. The Howling, Part 3. Do you realize what this means, Sharp? A new species of human. This is going to be the greatest scientific discovery of all time. 
They are here. They are real. One man will learn to love them. I thought you'd hate me when you found out what I was. One will try to save them. I wonder how many more of them there are out there. But others will seek to destroy them. Here, protect ourselves. You've been killing us for thousands of years. What choice do we have? Hey, Muna! Help me! Change me! Are they freaks of nature? Or creatures from hell? They should be wiped out completely. Evolutionary freaks. To get our freedom, please. According to these readings, he should be dead. Now, fear takes a brand new form. The Howling Three. Before we even get into the film, I rented this online and it offered me the choice of buying it. So. My first question to you is, if you had to purchase this film, what's the highest amount you'd pay? Uh, um, look, uh, maybe two bucks for a weekly rental uh, yep. in 1988, maybe. Yep. Maybe. <laughs> yep. Uh, it was going for $17.99. That, in which definition? Is that like virtual reality or is it a... <laughs> It's Some new just, format we don't know about. It's no it, God. I would be terrified to deal with this in a in a metaverse kind of way. No, that's just the straight movie. Seventeen ninety nine. I could have bought it four ninety nine to rent. Bloody hell! Uh, I guess that what they cost about a million bucks to make. So you know. Uh, yep, they're, they're clawing it back. Five thousand people rent it. There you go. Made your <laughs> money back. Yeah, it's out of the red. That's so good. That's that's out of control. I mean, that's like. Most Apple movies that are new releases aren't much more than that, are they? Yeah, it's hilarious. <laughs> it, it was it was funny. Look, maybe that was a warning. Yeah, maybe it was a warning. <laughs> it was it was just hilarious to see it sure? e- even to come up as an option. It's like, oh, okay. Well, that's that seems pretty confident. Uh, the uh, it was great to see in the credits uh, the brilliant Oscar-winning editor Lee Smith's name go up. Uh, who else do you reckon? should have had a bigger chance in Hollywood coming out of this film. I mean, Nicole Kidman famously dodged a bullet on this one. Uh, oh, did she? She was in the running. She, she lost the role to Imogen Annesley uh, as the right. lead wear marsupial. Uh, yep. But I, I do have a lot of love for Barry Otto. Yeah. Um, another man who looked like he was about 70 at, the, at our age. Right. Uh, <laughs> I think he was 47 in this, 46. Oh, are you serious? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah wow. <laughs> different times, different times, but um, and different teeth. Um, but yeah, I mean, Barry Otto could have had a Jeffrey Rush career 15, 20 years later. Yeah, uh, you know, he, he made a lot of appearances in a lot of interesting films during the eighties, especially. Yeah, uh, he was also Punisher. Yep, uh, set in uh, set in Sydney. Yeah, around Luna Park. Um, yeah, yeah. I think yeah, his career could have looked very different. Uh, 10, 15 years later. Uh, I think that's a really good call on uh, the Jeffrey Rush 10, years, 10, 15 years later. He's suddenly getting uh, those juicier, better written roles and uh, probably a little bit of slim pickings there for a while. Like he, he had Bliss, which I think he won awards for. But, he's uh, piano too, isn't he? Yeah, I think so, yeah. but He, um, he would have been in his 60s by then. I think he's 82 now. So, you know, right. by the point... That Austra- those prestige Australian films were like leading to roles in Hollywood. Uh, yeah. He sort of would have aged out of a lot of that, I guess. Yeah, yeah, he's great. And look, I have to say, I thought uh, Imogen Annesley uh, was actually really good in this, considering it's an insane role. I think she's actually good, Absolutely. especially when you compare her to, you know, the poor actor playing her boyfriend who... Yeah. Lee Biolis. <laughs> who who didn't even have a li- hyperlink on his on the wiki page for this. No. So, you know, tough times. straight off, yeah. Yeah. But look at my sleeveless denim shirt, though. Like, you know, I'm not saying it's all negative. He looked fantastic. But uh, I think they had, you know, plans for heartthrob stardom for him that sort of <laughs> probably tanked with his acting ability. Yeah. And, and Imogen 
clearly, once again, in these insane situations and this insane role, she does act him off the uh, off the screen uh, because uh, she also starred in playing Beady Bo in the TV miniseries Vietnam for and for yes. Australians of a certain age, Vietnam was. Mm. Quality. That was a really great miniseries, and that kind of didn't that launch uh, Nicole Kidman, uh, kind of uh, from the BMX Bandit uh, period. Possibly. Yeah. Um, the only miniseries I can remember watching as a kid is Bodyline. So. <laughs> oh yeah, right. You didn't watch the. Uh, you didn't Evil watch Bond. the. Oh mate, it it made me uh, enjoy the. Um, the Ashes for a long time. Yeah, Nicole Kidman and Nicholas Eady were in uh, Vietnam and they were both, uh, and, and Barry Otto. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, Annalise was um, in that. Uh, sorry, Imogen was in that and she yep. was great. But when I looked her up, uh, she's had roles all the way up until 2009, but they've all been, like she gets this little burst of, Starring and things, and then it's just slowly moved to to the sides, which is uh, which is a shame. It's the case a lot with them, the actresses from that that era, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just you... disappointing careers. Um, sort of the same situation, I guess, as Barry Otto, sort of. <laughs> yeah, out of it. yeah, yeah. And it is one of those things where it's like you're an actor and you have to take uh, your opportunities with a role, and then <laughs> you end up as a wear marsupial, and maybe that derails everything for you know how, how do you get uh booked for shakespeare when that was listening to a podcast concert. earlier talking about uh children of the corn four um which was one of naomi watts's first films so right. you know on the other on that on the other side of sometimes it takes off yeah well you know naomi watts had the uh, good fortune of uh having no luck and then david lynch for Mulholland yes. Drive uh, coming along and uh, saying, I think you might be worth something. So, uh, and everything taking off from there. But um, look, what I loved about this film is it has no interest in waiting around. So I wrote, as I watch uh, the the movie take place, I, I write down notes. And this is, for your entertainment, what happens in the first six minutes. This is literally the first six minutes of this film. We open with footage of Aboriginal people from 1905 and a were person strapped to a dead tree. A person found dead in Siberia and then another person attacked. Some government agency hears reports about werewolves in Russia and they think that the word werewolves must be codes. Our lead, Barry Otto, as Professor Harry Beckmeyer, showing that original footage we saw at the beginning while giving a lecture to students about the possible wolf mask the dead body is wearing. Harry flies to America to meet the president, who at one point refers to the camera filming the action as being done for archives, although in a long shot, there's no other camera set up. Then the professor is back in Sydney saying he thinks that werewolves exist, and it is implied his father was eaten trying to prove this. And that was the first six minutes, and look, I love a film that gets on with it. But this is a lot. Set the cracking pace. Uh, in the first fifteen minutes, she's pregnant with a hybrid. Uh, <laughs> it might be sixteen minutes, but yeah, <laughs> it just moves a lot. It's, a, we- it's an eight. It's a eighty-eight minute film minus credits. It's crazy. <laughs> it's got so much shit packed in there. It just <laughs> yeah. It just goes yeah. And- and it's it's an 88-minute film and it somehow also feels like it goes too long because there's a point where, it, and we'll get to it later, it feels like it's ended. Mm. And then there's like a 15-minute epilogue. Yeah, it's almost like a, tr- a trilogy uh, just jammed into that 88 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Nothing breathes, nothing breathes, nothing gets explored too much. They just keep going. Yeah, it makes me wonder if the creators of... Uh, uh, the Game of Thrones TV series, when they were getting the last season prepared, watched this and went, you know what? You can jam everything together. They've got it. Yep. Yep. This <laughs> makes Philippe sense. Philippe so Moore is a genius. Yeah. Yeah. Well, out of all those storylines, like, which one would you have liked them to linger on? Because, to be honest, I think they're all kind of juicy ideas, but they just... Here's an idea, move on. Here's an idea, move on. Which ones would you have liked to have seen explored a little bit more? I mean, I think the the swing the swing at like the Cold War era, you know, the Soviet spy spy uh, thread is hilarious. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, defecting ballerinas yeah. uh, who have turned up to hook up with, um, you know, feral bush dwarf 
um, violent scenes. Yeah, uh, I, I do love I do love the uh, community though, the sort of the Bushdorf community um, that is run by the horrible Philo. Right. Yeah. Uh, ex, ex, you know, and, and obviously live about ten minutes from the CBD of Sydney, based on the right uh, ge- <laughs> geography of the film. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's an interesting, uh, you know, idea. Uh, those guys at that camp. Uh, to be explored, especially with, you know, his nun werewolf daughters. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. The- We've spent more time there sort of like exploring that culture and community and it's, it's a detachment to like Indigenous um, lore as well. I think yeah. that's the one, really. It's funny, that remote community does feel like you only need to go five stops from Central on the T1 to oh, get to it. I reckon it's, yeah, probably Emu Plains. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. (laughs) It's so funny. The way they're living and it's like, I reckon there's a bus stop not far from here. I reckon you'll be fine. Uh, I I kind of would have have actually quite liked the, uh, you know, the the government stuff. Uh, I actually probably would have liked to have lingered on that a little bit. And if you're going to do it, like, do it properly. Because it's like it's setting up this interesting... um, you know, werewolves as uh, as code, and, and that's just kind of like a throwaway uh, comment. A hilarious half-ass scene between the two government agents that sort of just they just acted each other. Oh yeah, and then that's just done. It's over. Then, yep, yep. You've done you've done your spot. The um also, what's going on with that mildly meta moment where they refer to the camera filming them, and then which is. Just for this one moment where the president says, oh, that cameraman's filming us. And it's quite clearly the cameraman who's making the movie. It's not a cameraman there. And I'm then gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna throw a quote at you from Melbourne-based film academic Alexandra Hella Nicholas. Excellent. Who, uh, I follow follow on Twitter. Uh, she's great. She writes a lot about um feminist horror films, things yep. like that. But she's done an essay on this. Oh, great. Um, which I haven't read all of, but uh Alexandra says. It is a film that knowingly transcends the sum of its parts because those parts are defined precisely by their excesses, exploding in a car- carnivalesque frenzy that renders the film simultaneously a comedy about horror films as much as an actual horror comedy film itself. And then uh, there's another quote from Cine Excess. Uh, I can throw some links to you later if you like. The pleasure of Howling Free may well be precisely situated in the recognition of its satirical parody of a pompous high cultural set of aesthetic proclamations. The notion of intentional B-gradeness is often overlooked by critics and reviewers. Yes. And then director Philippe Mora, uh, who he's got some spinal tap energy with this one, but I'll give it to him. Satire and parody are very difficult because you rely on the intelligence of the audience, which is uncontrollable. Sometimes it takes time to be understood, although how anyone could take Howling Free straight is still beyond me. Yes. So there. <laughs> I mean, so, I think it's, it, swings, it swings harder and misses harder than it... Right, as a as an effort, but yeah. Well, I I get that it's a, a, a satire and a comedy, but also where's like, why do we just refer to the cameraman once? Like, I, I don't want to be you know a stickler for how jokes work, mm. but yeah. it's weird to refer to the cameraman once in a film and then never refer to it again. They just seem to just discard ideas left, right, and center, don't they? Yeah, like, just, burning, just burning so hot to like get to the next thing. Yeah. Uh, that there's yeah it's yeah I mean I saw it described as a fever dream too uh, right you know logic is out the window and they apparently had to shoot it extremely fast and just move from one set piece or one you know one concept to another yeah and barely look back did they yeah well it's it's interesting because uh, it quite clearly feels like that and they do have interesting shots where they'll you know view some of the action through a through a video screen or something like that. And I, I could have understood if all the president's moments were, you know, in shaky camera style and it, suddenly you are watching it from that documentary aspect. But it's just, I don't know, there's just something very bizarre in the middle of a film. Like it's it's almost as, like in a way, it's almost as weird as when George Lazenby looks straight at the camera and says, this never happened to the other guy. And you go, what is happening? What is... <laughs> Sorry, does Bond know he's in a he's just a an action star in a movie, and then only that's a, never only Australian Bond knows that only the Australian Bond. <laughs> yeah, of course it's only the Australian Bond. Um, 
were introduced to some bizarre community living out in the bush, which we've uh, talked about, where our heroine, Jaboa, decides to leave and head to the city. When asked by a priest why she's leaving, she says, my stepdad tried to rape me and he's a werewolf. At this point, I was genuinely asking, what is happening in this film? Uh... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's it's kind of funny, it's serious, it's meta, and it also feels like it's a brand new kind of category we've never really come across before. And e- even the moment where the stepdad at one point offers Jaboa a Sony Walkman, but later no- has no idea what a video camera or monitor is, I think, I, I do think it's funny, and it's quite clearly a satire, but there's just no consistency with what it's being satirical about or how it's going to be funny. And I guess that gets back yeah. to the referencing the camera that is never referenced again. There's the entire, you know, she she turns up in Sydney and immediately gets headhunted for a film directed by Frank Thring, <laughs> who tells her, I mean, again, you know, it's, this is like something you're not going to get away with anymore. He tells her, you know, he, he explains to her some of the themes they're allegedly attempting with like high art and, you know, Warhol and all the rest, and then turns around and says, and in this scene, you're going to be raped by four guys. <laughs> like, oh my Lord. I know. Fuck you, Frank, Frank Thring. <laughs> yeah. Can you explain Frank Thring to uh, people overseas? Uh, the, the Aussie icon. I mean, he's a, yeah. A, it's like almost like the Adam Richard. Yeah. <laughs> um, Early theatre, isn't he? Like right. an imposing, uh, uh, extremely flamboyant gentleman. Yeah. Um, who showed he showed up in a range of he's, he's in the Mad Max films, obviously. Um, yeah. But yeah, made his bones in the theatre, and then turns up in stuff like this. <laughs> yeah, he's very much a theatre actor when he's in a movie as well. Like he's still he's still oh, yeah, projecting he to the back of the. Absolutely, you know, theater. and he's playing a sort of Hitchcock sort of uh, uh, director style in this one, and you know, sort of skewering that pomposity, I guess, as well. Yeah, there's pretty good parties too, right? Well, yeah. he does have pretty good parties. There's a there's a version of this film where it's actually, I, I wonder if you know, say they get another six months to work on the film, is, is the movie better if it's all based through the making of the movie? A documentary, sort of similar sort of idea or their characters showing up well, around the making of the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then suddenly the the real life movie that they're making then turns into the real life adventure. Mm. Once again, so many ideas. Yeah, like this yeah, the script, yeah, it was obviously like the first draft and a half before they <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, they're two thirds of the way through, and then they're like, uh, "Let's do this now." And never, it, it, it feels like it could potentially be a first draft script with all the ideas, and yep. nobody goes back to uh, make There's sure no that everything, to anything, <laughs> yeah, all threads properly. Um, as you said, Jaboa is picked up literally on the street by Donnie Martin, who is working on a horror movie and thinks she'll be perfect. Uh, she says yes, heads into the city, meets Australian character actor legend Frank Thring. Uh, who immediately hires her, even though she has no idea what a movie is. So she knows what a Sony Walkman is, but she has no idea what a movie is, even though her remote community is four stops away via Central. Uh, Donnie then takes her to see a horror film called It Came From Uranus. And I know you can pronounce it as Uranus, but they're quite clearly wanting you to uh, pronounce it as Uranus, uh, which is a spoof of the type of film we're already watching. And then suddenly... Donnie and Jaboa are laying post-sex in bed. So what is more confronting? Her hairy lower half with the pouch that Donnie only just seems to notice or the amount both actors are sweating? Um, I'm pretty good with the hairy lower half. That's cool. Uh, I, I do wonder how Donnie didn't notice. Uh, I'm fascinated. Because the tagline for this was just when you thought it was safe to go down under. <laughs> and I don't think Donnie did. Uh, I don't think he did either. What a prick. Yeah. Uh, come on, Donnie. Yeah, come on, mate. Really. Like, like uh, everyone deserves pleasure, mate. Get down and go to work. Yeah, how he didn't notice was uh, pretty spectacular. But, yeah, I mean, the, the 80s were, uh, weren't a very dry time in cinema, were they? Oh, my like, This Lord. was like an entire volleyball team worth of sweat, Top Gun style. But it's genuinely overwhelming how, how sweaty they are. Like, it's really, really full on to the extent that, Either the makeup lady 
was sick that day and so and nobody even thought to apply some powder or they've they've made them sweatier deliberately and for the life of me i can't work out why <laughs> well don't they that's uh, one of the teams of scientists i think uh 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 come up with the idea that she's got a high higher metabolism right so maybe she did all the sweating for them um, right so that's, that's her uh, sweat her on marsup- marsupial sweat yeah oh. <laughs> Just what two terrible words to put together. Like you feel like uh, that is some thick, smelly sweat. Oh, we've got a few to come up yet. Don't worry. (laughs) Oh, my Lord. Yeah, I know. Uh, It's such a funny scene. And uh, as you said, that that kind of moment where he's just kind of lying post-coitus and, oh, I wonder what's going on there. She seems to have a pouch. It's like, mate, that must have been. We've all been there. We've all been there. Well, I have a sense that 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 sex scene wasn't in the movie because it only lasted a few seconds. So (laughs) I I think that's what's happening with Donnie. Uh, Now we discover that there's a ballerina defecting from Russia and uh, this becomes a major part of the storyline. And we also watch three random nuns travelling about the city. Funny, just the nuns are introduced. The nuns feel like they could be a whole movie on their own. Absolutely. Uh, They're our sisters, I believe. Right. Right. Mm. Uh, so funny. And how, yeah, the uh, snarling at kids on buses. And yeah, I mean, they've got a whole sort of, yeah, if that side plot had been sort of followed through as well, instead of just they mostly disappear after the party scene, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. And then turn up very briefly at the end yeah. for, a, for, a, for a quick glance of them and enjoying life. But, you know, once again, that, that, I, I would have been happy to follow them for the whole film. Oh, like, yeah, that would be a great side plot, yeah. Yeah. There's, there's, a, there's an American werewolf in London vibe with those three potentially going around doing jobs and, uh, uh, you know, getting up to all sorts of mischief and then, you know, something going wrong with one of them. Like, there's just something going on there. But once again, this movie just says, we've got a great idea, and that's enough of that. Here's another idea. Uh, so we've got the ballerina defecting. We've got the, the the random nuns who haven't revealed that they are also wear marsupials just yet. But uh, we then have the after party for the film. So time really jumps quickly. In, like it's like she's just discovering what a movie is, and now it's the after party. And the strobe lights start to freak Jaboa out, and she insists that Donnie has sex with her to calm her down. Is that what it is? Uh, yeah, uh, makes <laughs> like yeah. It's a it's a logical yeah um, leap, isn't it? To in the middle of like a you know uh, escape scene or like a freak out scene. Yeah, yeah. Just, let's get it on, guys. Yeah, take me out the back so you can have sex with me. I'm guessing he's such a bad lay. Uh, she usually passes out, so maybe that's what she was thinking. He'll he'll bore me to sleep and I won't freak out from this strobe. But anyway, unfortunately, the strobes still freak her out, so she runs away and is hit by a car. Which part is more impressive? That she appears to have been hit by a car and an ambulance has turned up and attended her in seconds because Donnie is not that far behind her, but by the time he turns up, she's in a neck brace, she's on an IV, amazing. Or... The way Donnie kisses her, which looks like an asp making its mouth as large as possible. Can we make a leap for the uh, sake of the screenwriters and say, is that, is that potentially a government a- ambulance that's been put into, you know, they've been tracking her or something already? Or are they not that far advanced? Sure, like maybe they are. In in this movie, it's hard to tell what the uh, technological uh, achievements of uh, this government are. But that... So okay, well we can we can be nice about that. What but the Donnie, fuck is Donnie? Oh. You know he's Tom Hanks spliced with Jay Leno with oh. an eight pack, and yeah, right. he's got low charisma whatsoever. Um, so I'm going to say yeah, the uh, asp like head devouring uh, attempt that he goes for in the. I I was gobsmacked. Like it's not often that you watch a, a scene like that and just of all think, the things you'd seen to that point in the film, was that <laughs> you were most gobsmacked by? Or? Yeah, because all the other stuff is in the in the real world. Uh, bullshit, but that is actually the way he kisses, and it is fucking awful. Like it is awful. It's like he opens his mouth and just kind of rubs his head up and down again. Like poor Imogen. Like that. A shout out to Imogen, who's from Adelaide as well. Like you, you, you know, that is that is brutal. That you are having to act opposite this guy who can't act and also can't kiss. It's yeah. 
outrageous. And at least he got no career for him anyway. So no, no Wikipedia. Like no that, IMDb. That's just, your punishment. That is your punishment. All for that kissing <laughs> scene. To, yeah, a few Google image searches. I think. Right, he is. He is the anti Jeff Bridges circa against all odds. That, Jeff Bridges mate. with a mustache. Like if, ah. if if you're of a certain age and you only know Jeff Bridges as you know the dude or from movies on, go back and look at young Jeff Bridges and fucking hold on to your ovaries. And if you're a guy, you will grow ovaries and they'll explode. He and, and he was a, ovaries explode. Yeah, yeah, he was a very hot man around Starman. Yeah, uh, I'm just going to quick tangent on that. If uh, a quick shout out to the old man with Jeff Bridges. And the fact that that uh, series has cast an actual actor that looks like him, but he's younger, yeah. uh, Don Heck, I think his name is, and does a great job uh, and isn't a CGI de-aging abomination. Uh, what a, <laughs> uh, in what the a relief. Scenes. So, yeah, a really cool show. Uh, he's a, you know, ex-spy, all the yes. rest. And, yeah, the, the flashback sequences to younger Jeff in his 40s. Yeah. He's just an actor in his 40s. Uh, I don't think it's... Performance. Yeah, I haven't seen it as yet, but I'm keen to uh, check it out. I, you know, what I just finished. This will sound like a. This is building on what you were just talking about, but I finally finished the German series Dark on Netflix. Right. I, I watched the first season, really loved it, and then just got distracted and finally got back to the second and third seasons. Not only is it uh, from the first episode to the last episode one of the most consistent TV shows I've watched. It's, it's 24 episodes, and I reckon it is the same quality all the way through. But that also has younger and older uh, 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 characters being played by different actors, and it's great. And you right. you always know that, yep, that's that kid, and that's that grown-up, and that's that old man, and please don't de-age. It just looks terrible. Yeah, it looks like shit, and uh, I would just uh, finish that thought with uh, Don Heck should grow the moustache. Uh, right, at some stage during the series, please. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. But you know what? You know what goes wrong with the de aging uh, with the computer stuff is that if you just had a new actor, as an example, play Luke Skywalker, then if you wanted to make more Luke Skywalker adventures, you could just have that actor. But if you de age Mark Hamill, and then eventually when Mark Hamill isn't acting anymore, well, then what do you do? Then you replace like you've. Yeah, it's a, it's a dangerous precedent. We won't go into those Star Wars shows. No, 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 but it, it, I, like, <laughs> yeah. I don't even really give a fuck about Star Wars. Yeah. Like, Star Wars can go and eat a big bag of dicks as far as I'm concerned, but it's just, if you start yeah. de-aging actors... It- Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewellery from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Sly. Yeah, yeah put, in, put in a new actor. Guess what? Actors, you know. I mean, the creepy thing, too, is that, that then become, like their likeness becomes the studio's intellectual property yes yeah and like they can just roll you out and do whatever the fuck they like yeah after you're gone. yeah you know? <laughs> so you know it's a slippery slope into just like okay we are in harrison ford aged 40 right and fuck he's going to he's you know he's going to be in something that he would be completely <laughs> aghast at starring in uh, but we own him yeah yeah, yeah. We, we've got the copyright on harrison ford age 40 not 41 not 39 just 40, 40. yep Empire Strikes Back is what we've got. That that's 
genuinely sounds like the future, and that is a bummer amongst yeah, other it's things. A massive All right, bummer. Yeah. let's let's get back to this bummer. adorable yeah. film. Uh, the the nuns turn up at the after party, and, and as we suspected, they were werewolves, and they attack everyone. They're looking for Jaboa, yet she's in hospital being attended by a doctor played by TV legend Bill Collins. I have to be honest, this was the highlight of the movie for me because I, I love Bill, Bill Collins. Collins presented this on Friday on a Friday night later in his career. Like, I hope he did. He had a sense of humour. Yeah. Yeah. Did you used to watch him avidly as a kid? Because he used to do those uh, runs on, like it would be like a Wednesday to Saturday night where he'd put on Hitchcock movies at 11 for, you know, like three weeks or he'd do Woody Allen movies or, you know, Steve McQueen and stuff like that. He was really good for getting my knowledge up of uh, the golden age of Hollywood. He had... Two TV stations growing up, uh, Channel 7 yep. and the ABC. Yep. I think he occasionally cropped up on the on Channel 7. Or was, it, was he on the ABC? I think he was a Channel 10 guy, so yeah, maybe yeah. he would have turned up on ABC on stuff. Yeah, I think it might have been the ABC that we would have seen him on out yeah. there in the middle of nowhere with no internet. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah um, definitely like a, a, you know, <laughs> he and John Michael Houseland. Yeah. Those sort of icons of Australian film presentation. Yeah. Well, but, criticism. Yeah. No, but Bill Collins was, no, he was, uh, he was a, a proper kind of, uh, uh, yeah, he was a bit more in the Stratton Pomerantz. Yeah, yeah, Like, not ne- yeah. necessarily giving specific reviews, but, you know, he would put a, he would not only just show a movie, he would give it the context of when it was made and, uh, you know, things to look out for. And yep. uh, he was great. So was, I was kind of a bit thrilled when <laughs> Bill Collins turned up. Yeah, and, I wish David Stratton had shown up too. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, but I didn't think Bill's uh, acting was too bad, actually. Yeah. I thought he was pretty good. I met David Stratton at the uh, Gus Van Sant Psycho. Oh yeah, briefly, uh, and very yeah, he you know lived up to his reputation. Oh right, yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, I a certain uh, I, I won't I won't say yeah. who it is. I'm no, sure, no. but a a certain comedian I know uh, had a very Stratton uh, moment, uh, which is disappointing. But on the plus side, I did uh, I did the Glass House with Margaret Pomerantz, and she was a delight. So yeah, great fun. Great fun. Uh, so a nurse, played by an actor who looks like she's been replaced by an alien, tells Donnie to go home even though he's in love with her. Possibly the worst acting in the film, that nurse. She like she was so bad, I was suspecting that it was going to be revealed that she was a robot. And it turned out she's just an actor. Uh, the nuns arrive. They tear the hospital apart. They kill Bill Collins. Boo. And it turns out Jaboa is pregnant with Donnie's baby. Uh, so at this point... The thing that was confusing me the most was Barry Otto is playing this role very seriously. What do you think of his approach to, uh, or his choice to approach the movie like this? Um, yeah, I mean, he really does attempt to elevate some utter shit, doesn't he? Like, like yeah. You know, he's in the Dolph Punisher, which was, I think, my first exposure to him. Right. <laughs> playing a muttering lunatic called Shake, who yep. was like the moral conscience of the film. But yeah, he always brings, yeah, he brings it in a way that the material may not actually deserve. Yeah. But he, yeah, like kudos to him. <laughs> yeah. There's no nudge, nudge, wink, wink about his performance. No, no, not at all. It's fascinating because it's all very... Very straight. And even and other people around him, once again, this is part of why the movie's fascinating is because there's a lot of people in different films in this one movie. Yeah, there are about you know, three dozen films happening. Yeah. Uh, but it's a, it's an interesting approach. Like it's, you know, he, I guess he could have camped it up, but instead he just plays a very straight line from his first appearance to his last appearance. Yes. Uh Weird, I guess there's a weird character arc for him too, uh, in terms of, we won't go, we'll, we'll probably get there anyway, but yeah, like some of the uh, almost interrogation scenes. Yep. Like, uh, you know, that's not like a likable character at that point, is it? No, no. Uh, almost, you know, there's almost that sort of Nazi vibe, Nazi interrogation sort of vibe. And, you know, Mora's got sort of some history with like making films about the, um, 
World War Two, right, and things like that, and it sort of slips it slips into the tone of this oh, you know, at points, yeah, in a sort of weirdly uncomfortable way. Yeah, you know, uh, I forgot to ask you: Have you ever seen the original uh, Howling movie? Uh very. I mean, when it would have, yeah, maybe when I was ten, I guess. It's genuinely a classic compared yeah. to the following six. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I mean the second one like is just wild. It's um, I think it's called uh, Shebra Wear Bitch or something, right? And it's got Christopher Lee set in yep. Transylvania, um, yep. which so, so it doesn't qualify for this podcast. But yeah, it looks like it's just a soft core porn film with werewolves, right? And wow. Christopher Lee, <laughs> and, and Christopher Lee. Why wouldn't you? All right, fair also enough. Also taking it very seriously. Yeah. Yeah. I'm surprised Howling hasn't been. Uh, maybe that'll be the next Blumhouse revamp. Mm. Yeah, werewolves are due a bit of a renaissance, I guess. Yeah, so. yeah, they haven't uh, they haven't had their shot for a while. Time to bring them back. Uh, blood ones, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, speaking of uh, werewolves, it turns out the ballerina who defected from Russia is a is also one, and she freaks out while dancing. Kills one dancer who is so into dancing, he has no idea she's turned into a werewolf. And then she's captured and taken to another hospital. Professor Harry arrives and they do some tests. They're attacked by her friend who is also a werewolf and they kill him. And the professor begins to fall in love with the ballerina. Of course he does. Meanwhile, the weird-ass community, led by Thilo, the, the guy Jaboa was trying to escape, conduct a ceremony that draws the ballerina to them. Uh, the part I was fascinated by here were suddenly the secret American government listening in on the professor's conversations. Uh, once again, I would probably lean a little bit more into the American government listening in on this. Like they just, it every time it turns up, it always feels like, "Hey, d- did someone remember we've got the American government listening in on this?" It's like, "Oh shit, yeah, throw them in here." Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I, I just, my, my eyes glazed over at you doing the plot for a moment there. I'm like, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> holy shit, it is so much. It's a lot. So I'm, much. You, there's, like, I have this book where I keep all my notes while I'm writing, and this this movie in particular has more pages of notes than, say, you know, David Lynch's Lost Highway. And that's yeah, yeah. <laughs> just trying to keep up with the scenes, just trying mm. to keep up with them and everything that's going on. Yeah, I mean, by I mean an hour into it, it's just it's completely changed tack too, hasn't it? Yeah. I mean, yeah. now it's this. Uh, yeah, you know the uh, the eco horror sort of angle to it sort of gets teased out a bit more at that point, and it's just like bloody hell, guys. Just yeah, you know, like I said, it could be a trilogy if anyone was willing to subject themselves to. <laughs> making three entire films with these ideas. Yeah, yeah. It's, Unpacking uh, them. It, it's funny. It's suddenly like, you know, it's it's kind of talking about the way we treat Indigenous people and it's a horror movie, but it's also a spoof on the horror genre. And, and that it's, body uh, horror stuff has sort of got some allusions to, like, queerness and otherness. Um, yes. That's probably at the time they weren't really intending to get to, but, you know... In the in the lens of thirty five years, uh, sort of relevant, <laughs> very yeah. relevant. But yeah, yeah, it obviously doesn't yes have a, have enough time or the attention span to actually dig into them. Yeah, accidentally relevant should be a yeah. new segment on this uh, podcast Ac- where yeah. <laughs> I can bring a lot to the table. Yes, yeah. <laughs> lots of movies that accidentally ended up uh, you know meaning something. Now just give them some time. Just give them give- time. The uh, the where marsupial birth scene is something I will never forget, and I'm not sure that's a good thing. It's pretty full on, and do you reckon that's where most of the budget went? You know that that's a mouse in a rubber costume, don't you? No, I did not. <laughs> Does that make is it, it better or worse for you? <laughs> I don't know. Is that true? Is that what it is? It's true. It's a mouse in a rubber costume that they reversed the film on because it refused to birth in the right direction. Ah. Uh. Fuck, you know what they say, never work with children, animals, or, or mice in rubber suits. And I think that's what Philippe Mora, the director, actually said afterward, that he'd never work with a mouse again. So, Right. I, I, I think it makes it worse, uh, you know. Also, the poor bloody mouse. Like you're a mouse. Oh. And now you're in a rubber suit. Confusing. Craw- crawling up a, a, a lady's 
Furry mitt. Yeah, nethers. To, to, to get to a to a pouch. And, they, and everyone's yelling at you because you're not going in the right direction. And it's hot. And it's, oh, and it's sweaty. God. And it's... Yeah, far out. That is... And it's a rubber suit. Yeah, that's cruel. There's a level of cruelty to that. I'm not into that. Uh, the <laughs> army... Oh, but, you know, in in the movie's defence, it looked more realistic than anything I've seen in a Marvel movie in, in, since Phase 4. So, you know, maybe there's something to be learnt there. Uh, By the YT, uh, get, the, get the rubber suits out, mate. Right, well, you know, just don't have a crack at all the uh, people doing the... Uh, the VFX who are working for a dollar seventy five an hour. Um, oh, yes, that was a big credit sequence on that last one, wasn't it? Uh, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bad move. All those poor bastards. Right, it's like it's like when you see uh, a comedian at a gig uh, hanging shit on the people running it, and it's like you didn't have to do it. <laughs> you know, how about you just try to make it a little bit better? Uh, the army is brought in and catches the community where the professor's empathy for these indigenous where marsupials really kicks in. What a delightfully mangled metaphor, which we've kind of already covered, but it does sort of come out of nowhere that now we're like his, his motivation was to prove that his father was right. Who yeah. seems to have been killed in the process of trying to prove that it was right. And now that he knows that his father was right, who gives a shit about proving it now it's, now he's, uh, you know, now he's about to march down George Street with a big sign saying, "Where, where marsupial lives matter." Yeah, he's gone native, hasn't he? <laughs> so funny! What a funny! Uh, it's just such a funny turn that kind of comes out of nowhere. And then the professor not only decides to uh, believe in them as an indigenous culture, he decides to help them escape, even though he's been attacked by them. He has scratches all over him. He waves off the possibility he's been infected. And then they drive off and ram a barricade made of hay. Meanwhile, the government, the American government, have brought in the Omega team, an elite <laughs> army team who uh, are two guys. They're introduced. We forget about them. We see them two more times. And for two dudes who are elite, they get wiped out pretty easily. <laughs> pretty shit. Uh The best of the best. <laughs> For three scenes. <laughs> I, would you like to have seen uh, a Rosencrantz and Guildenstern version of this movie from their perspective? I would like to, once again. That'd be pretty hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> these these two guys are brought in, like reimagining this whole film, bringing it from their perspective where they get dropped into hide in plain sight for this movie that's being made and then they realise everything is real. There you go. Yeah. Brilliant. I'd watch that. Uh, now there's hunters racing after Jaboa, her marsupial wear baby and boyfriend Donnie. Aboriginal actor Burnham Burnham turns up. And every scene he's in, he just jumps out of nowhere to scare people. Like he literally jumps into the scene. And it happens so often, Jaboa asks him why he does this all the time. So my question to you is, was that part of the script or was Imogen the actual actress asking him why he does that, and they decided to leave it in. I just hope Burnham Burnham was, you know, um, having a good time and just leaping into the yeah, and she's finally cracked it. Yeah. So <laughs> you think it, you think it's real? Burnham Burnham character choice. Um, yeah. Yeah. into her reacting with a what the fuck, mate. Yeah. So you think you think it's an ad lib that they kept, or potentially? Or? Yeah. I mean, it could have been improv from him too. It's so funny because there's. <laughs> No reason to have that in the script. No. <laughs> but there's also no reason for him to just keep jumping into scenes and scaring the shit out of people. He is amazing fun too. Uh, yeah. I like to imagine him, yeah, improving the, the arrival. It's Kendi, isn't it, the character? Yeah. He's yeah. great. He's really funny. Yeah, yeah. Gold. Yeah. Uh, he was, yeah, he was in um, Shit the Crocodile one. <laughs> what a one that we watched. Oh, uh what was that? That was, oh, oh my yeah. god! Anyway, yeah, we know what we're talking about. You can just no, no, flip no. back through the list. Dark Age. Uh, that's it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Funnily enough, when you said the crocodile one, I then got uh, crocodile stuck in my head. Uh, you know, <laughs> see that film feels a lot more coherent than this one. I mean, and yeah, a lot of the same ideas and themes in there. Uh, but yeah. 
actually going, yeah, driving towards a point. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting. So you have Burnham Burnham turn up, and then suddenly there's an Aboriginal tracker who's helping random hunters. And that feels like, oh, this feels like something that you're going to make a statement about. But it's no, 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 no. There's just a, just a random tracker. Oh, I, yeah. yeah. Uh, he gets my favourite line of the movie, though. One tooth goes down your mouth and out your arsehole. Great. Favourite favorite line of the movie. Uh, by this stage, I was feeling like I was having an acid flashback. And Burnham turns into a marsupial werewolf, attacks the hunters, lay down, lays down to die, where Dr. Harry, the were-ballerina, the were-marsupial mum, and were-marsupial baby with their useless boyfriend and rapey stepdad community leader find him. Burnham dies. They're on the run. But they have time to burn the body. <laughs> <laughs> that body burns quickly, doesn't it? Yeah, the, the fever dream slash acid flashback really are yeah, pertinent to it. Uh, I don't know that I'd actually want to take acid and watch this. Oh, God, um, no. <laughs> the longest 90 minutes of yeah, ass-puckering fucking existential horror. Well, it's, 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 a, it's a weirdly long movie because it's so... Um, it, the rhythm of it is so disjointed. Because I honestly thought it was ending when mm. when when it gets to a certain point, and that's an hour in, like yeah, yeah, they've jammed all that into the first hour, and then there's this, the coda that takes another twenty eight minutes. Like it's crazy, yeah. Like it's crazy how long the last part of the movie makes, considering the story that they set up ends. Yes, yeah. I mean, yeah. I'd actually put it on, yeah, graph it on a timeline and look at just how much happens to you know. Little effect. Uh, just say too. I actually do genuinely enjoy the film. Um, oh yeah, yeah. No, it's yeah. it's definitely fun. It's like yeah. it's definitely sitting there trying to work out. Yeah, what's happening? But uh, you know, I love that this you know this disparate group of people end up together and they're on the run and then their mate dies and they really have a lot of time to just stand around and watch his body burn, which I'm guessing is going to draw attention to where they are. Imagine. Yeah. Uh. The uh, the cult leader is murdered. Everyone gets to safety, and the president discovers that Doctor Harry has run off with the wear ballerina. He doesn't mind though, because at least she's a woman. Strange line. It's a strange line, isn't it? It's an utterly bizarre line. <laughs> and the, the the performance is just what. <laughs> yeah, he he definitely wasn't taking the Barry Otto approach uh, to no. the role of the president. Uh, well, that's what makes their scene early so fascinating because Barry's playing it so straight. He's deciding, I'm going to chew all the scenery. Yeah. Like, it, it, in a way, we needed Stacey Keach's performance in Road Games opposite, like, as the lead guy. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah a bit right, more wry. Yeah. 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 A bit, that's perfect. A bit more wry rather than oh. so sincere. In on the joke rather than like sort of yeah, coming off buffoonish because everything else is <laughs> so fucking bizarre. Yeah. So, you know, so we find out that he's run off with the wear ballerina. The president has been fine uh, because she's a woman. So then he's completely fine about it. And uh, that's the end of the movie, except, as you said, that's the end of the first hour and there's still another 20 plus minutes to go. Like, it's such a strange choice, isn't it? Like, it's a really strange choice. Yeah, just to just briefly describe what happens. <laughs> I mean, they essentially start their own sort of off-grid compound. Yep. Have a daughter that quickly grows to sort of being a teenager. Like. While not ageing at all. Right. Uh, either actor. Like, um, like both, both, that's one of my notes, is that it's hard to work out what's going on because... They don't change at all, except feasibly. There's been a fifteen year, a fifteen years worth of plot happen, in, including but Jerboa and like Donnie, their careers don't really match up to that par- to that timeline, do they? No, no. There's, he just goes to Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. So we get Doctor Harry and the Wear Ballerina have children. Jaboa and Donnie take their grown-up wear son to live in the city under assumed names. And then we discover that the Vatican has said werewolf people are people too. So the president agrees and nobody gives a shit. Like this whole movie, 
it's just undone. As soon as the Vatican says, ah, oh, no, they're all right. Everyone I think says, the, oh, okay. I think the Pope's actually a werewolf. Um, this is my sequel. Uh, Pope's a werewolf. Uh, he's putting together a secret commando force, uh, Vatican commando force, to take on the reptilian royal family. Um, yes. Howling, howling eight. Yes. A werepope. Yeah, a werepope. That's great. What's the um? What's a werewolf's uh, uh, weaknesses? It's silver, isn't it? Is it? Is it just these, silver? These guys, these guys are a species, and they're not. Uh, I think the the concept is that you know they've evolved completely separately, so they yep. don't have the same weaknesses. Yeah. Or the same, but yeah, uh, silver, silver bullets. Um, it's, they just change back in sunlight, don't? Or at the end of the night, don't they? Yeah, they just kind of seem yeah. to. Uh, like that's one of the things that Jaboa is saying early on when she's watching yeah. the uh, the the Uranus film. <laughs> but this is the different, yeah, different mythos for these guys because the strobe is something that will tick them off, and yeah. they can just be killed by normal weaponry. Yeah. Um, I love the idea of the werepope, though. But as for the werepope, um, yeah, yeah, um, his weaknesses. We won't, yeah, we won't do any gags about. Um, what the Catholic Church is renowned for? No, no, uh, no. For but a family you, podcast. Yeah. Well, uh, you, you can. This is definitely not a family podcast. But uh, I, I would be totally up for a scene where it opens and it's just the Pope throwing out all the silver. That was how how yeah. I would start that film. They're just throwing out all the silver, burying it. George Pell, werewolf. No, we're going to make it a fun film. We're not going to make it. Uh, <laughs> we're not going to make it awful. All right. Yep. We'll bring. That, you know, it's a, it's only going to be awful in quality, not in awful in... <laughs> well, Philippe Moore is still alive, so you know. <laughs> oh, we'll give him a call. Yeah. So the, the film eventually ends with Dr. Harry and his family returning to the world and then they travel around where he gives lectures. It seems everyone is completely fine with all of this, even though he has no idea where Jaboa and her family have gone. Then at one of his lectures, the son of Jaboa and Donnie arrives and tells us that his parents are killing it. In Hollywood. That night, they watched some award show. And Dave Medna Everidge is handing out awards. <laughs> like. <laughs> I looked at Barry Humphrey's filmography and he has been in some utterly bizarre shit. So this makes sense. <laughs> makes so much sense. He'll just turn up. Yeah. I mean. Yeah, he just didn't care. And I, he'll take a paycheck wherever he can, yeah. right? Just just rock up. Do this the weird gurning thing. And. Yeah, for for a man who has very uh, firm views on uh, the quality of Australian uh, art and entertainment, yeah, he has done nothing to further it <laughs> whatsoever. I just want to <laughs> note here too that Zach is probably a worse actor than Donny. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. shit really grinds to a halt when he starts performing. Oh man. So funny. It's so true. Uh, so then we get the award ceremony. Jaboa, who is now known as Loretta Carson, and Donnie, who has the name Sully Spellingberg, which I'm guessing is a Steven Spielberg. Surely, yeah. Like, <laughs> we haven't had any other kind of plays on names, but suddenly we've got one right here. Anyway, they attend the ceremony, and Jaboa wins. But the flashes of the cameras make her turn into a werewolf. Everyone freaks out, and the movie ends. Like, we've I already... Thought. <laughs> yes, I know. But we've already seen uh, footage of her doing photo shoots. Uh, so it's just like, oh, we need an ending. Oh, remember the strobe lights? Because Barry Otto and his wife, the Russian ballerina, are then in this uh, sort of... They're in a mansion at the yeah. end, aren't they? Watching yeah. a huge... What would be a massive TV in 1987? Like, a probably... 24 inch or something. Yeah, it's, it's huge. <laughs> so they, they've, yeah, they've leveled up. Uh, it's great. And there's that the scene with his, uh, the, the, the other scientist uh, sitting in his lounge room watching the award ceremony, cackling maniacally as well. Right. And the like, three nuns. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The three nuns in a cave. Yeah. Like, anyway, it is a strange, strange film that I guess. Never at any point had an idea where they thought maybe we shouldn't do this. Yes, yes. I mean, I was looking at the original poster mm -hmm. uh, and 
there's rocks in the background. Right. I thought it was originally like a riff on the scene in the tent in the film, but like it looks like it's a, actually like an Azari Chamberlain joke or oh, riff right. on a werewolf eating the baby. Oh. Some- <laughs> wow. But yeah, the, the, the poster's changed over the years and the Ayers Rock has just been replaced with a, but yeah, it looks like an awful like visual gag based on that too. Like? Super dark. Um, <laughs> I would not put it past no, anything no, in this film. That's exploitation. Uh, and just noting, too, that my mate Simon drew the uh, Blu-ray cover for this one, too, so that's pretty cool. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. Yes. And he's actually drawing something for my next project at the moment, so that's going to be exciting to see develop oh, as well. that's yes. exciting. Well, yes. Howling 3, The Marsupials, can I definitively recommend it? No. 550 but YouTube comment- commenters <laughs> would disagree. I say yes. Go for it. Yeah. Definitely. Not many of them can sell, but yeah, I was <laughs> rolling through them last night and there was, there's a pretty big fan base for this. <laughs> and also just a, a quick, another tip, um, the soundtrack's pretty good. Yep. Uh, if you have a look around, but there's a really cool um, cover of Bad Moon Rising during yes. the sex scene yep. by the band The Reels. Yep. And give that a look on YouTube because it's actually a really impressive clip too. Yeah, yeah, that is yeah. a great version. Yes. Yeah. Probably the, the, the closest the movie gets to art is Actual that, that class. Moment. Yes. Yeah. Um, the special effects, let's not discount the sort of like plasticine quality of pretty much everything. I've I got to be honest, I'm still reeling from the revelation that that was a rubber mouse. Also, um, one day on the long tease, we'll get to Razorback, but apparently Razorback's head's used as one of the uh, werewolves too. I think it's Thilo's uh, werewolf head. Oh. Razorback. Oh, great. Yeah. Repurposed. Yeah. Because they had fuck all money. So, yeah. it's a... Yeah. Good Good to see that got some uh, extra use. I am definitely up for uh, a Razorback rewatch. I saw that at the cinema and at exactly the right age to enjoy. Oh, yeah. That's a beautiful film. Maybe, yeah, we, we, we need to get to it. Yeah, before the end of the year. That'll be great. Yeah, for sure. yep. uh, is there anything else we should know about this film? Uh, its original title was Womb with a View. Stop it. <laughs> Alternative title. Um, Howling 3, I, Womb with a View. Womb with a View. It premiered at Calm. <laughs> oh, really? Yes. Wow. I mean, a lot, of sh- a lot of shit premieres at Calm, but like, Back then, I would have imagined it was slightly more prestigious. I mean, it is like a market. Right. But yeah, premiered at Cannes. Uh, wow. Mora, Mora calls it Bohemian Werewolves in the Bush. Right. <laughs> which is about a, a third of the film. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I actually prefer that title. I, I feel like that works out quite well. Uh, Gar, thank you for this. Where can uh, people thank find you. you? You've taken a bit of a break from social media, but you're getting back into it Very now. enjoyable. Very enjoyable break. Um I might jump back on at the end of July when we're back in Australia, yeah. uh, which will be a bit of a change uh, yeah. on multiple fronts. But, yeah, uh, just past theamel.com and on Twitter and on Instagram. And maybe in a week or so I'll break the uh, I'll break the uh, little, um, what am I doing, a hiatus? Uh, yeah. With a bit of a tease of what I'm going to be working on, what I'm working on, uh, to release in October, uh, right? So we might just uh, throw a few things up then. Yeah, we'll we'll put that a in the, much, yeah. the start of the the next season of Big cool. Squid. I can't thank you for necessarily having me watch this film, but I can thank you for being on the podcast today. <laughs> Appreciate that. <laughs> Take it easy. Thank you to Garth for bringing this movie to my attention. Should I be thanking him? I don't know. It was a... Look, it was fun. It was definitely fun. Will I watch this again? I don't know. But anyway, uh, Pass the Amel will be back early in Season 6. And no, I did enjoy watching this film. But uh, look, you probably know that I normally would dedicate an episode of Big Squid to a Patreon subscriber. But I think... All of my Big Squid community deserves to dodge this silver bullet of a film. (laughs) But the shout-outs will continue next week. If you'd like to join our community and have access to extra podcasts, scripts, discounted tickets to live events, head to patreon.com forward slash Justin Hamilton underscore B.
Big Squid. I'll be back next week with our final Space Podacy episode for Season 5, a two-part look back at Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Thanks for listening and enjoy the rest of your week. Until then. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.